you warned me that it would be a vulnerable process and and I knew I knew that I think I have a really distinct memory of 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 us on a particular day and I left and and I think I was tearful at the end of the session and I just kind of like went and cried but it was like a good it was this realization of how much I had been protecting my voice and you were naming that so beautifully but you were saying I see you you were saying I see like you don't need that anymore you don't need this thing that these 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 things that you've built up around your voice um, that are actually hurting your voice physiologically and you were naming these things, but also a belief of like, actually beneath that, there's something even more beautiful. There's something more real. And that's like to really tap into that. So I think that was, it was so freeing. That's Ivy Eld, and this is The Sound of You. What's happening, my friends? It's me, Davin. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) I know I always say that, but it's because I mean it. I'm loving this relationship that we are building together around this conversation about the voice. I just got an email the other day from someone telling me that the last episode of the podcast was the kick in the pants that they needed to get rolling on their voice journey. And I'm so grateful to know that. It means so much to me and is so satisfying. And I just have a feeling that this episode might be that for you because it's a conversation with my client, my friend. Her name is Carolyn Brown. She goes by the incredible stage name of Ivy Eld, which you'll learn more about in our conversation. But Carolyn is really inspiring and maybe even more relatable. And yeah, this is rich. But before I tell you more about that, I did want you to know that I have put on the website all of the information about my group voice coaching program for your voice for your life i've been teasing this for a minute i know but it's happening and it's launching april 22nd and here's the thing it's limited to 10 people and five of the spots as of today five of the spots are already gone So don't wait if you're curious. The program happens over four months. The first month focuses on embodiment practices, the functionality of your voice. The second month moves to a focus of mindfulness and awareness. The third month then dances into play and improvisation. And then the fourth month, we put all the pieces together. We write a new narrative, a new story for how it is that you get to show up in the world with your voice, with more freedom, with more authenticity, with more ease. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Oh, I did want to mention, you know, someone asked me if I would be there for all of the group coaching sessions. And yes, it's all me all the time, baby. Um, And as an added bonus, you get a one-to-one hour coaching session with me where I give you direct feedback on your voice. And in the group coaching sessions, I'm doing spot coaching all the time. So yes, by all means, we will be interacting with each other. And it's a small awesome, kick-ass, exciting group of people that know their voice is key on their journey toward growth, toward expansion, toward change. So if you're curious, please check out the info, davinyoungsvoice.com. You'll see a link there for Free Your Voice, Free Your Life. And I don't know, don't wait. 
Like, let's go. I think now is the time to move the needle on your voice journey. Come on. All right, enough about that. Back to the episode. Like I said, Ivy Eld is a client of mine and I had the gift, the privilege to be able to accompany her as she recorded her very first album. Something that was many, many, many years in the making. And this conversation highlights what that journey was like. Look, I meet so many people that want to do what Ivy Eld did and they have a difficult time actually seeing it through. But I'm so proud of her because she made it happen. It's out in the world. You can listen to it now. And she's going to tell you about the inception of the idea, her origins as a singer-songwriter, some of the challenges along the way, one of which was quite significant as she lost her brother, which happened to occur right about the exact same time as I lost my mom. So we were able to accompany each other in our grief during our work together, which we talk a bit about and share about, which I hope you will find meaningful. And then ultimately she shares around the journey that she experienced as, in her words, I deconstructed her voice to help reveal something that felt freer and easier and ultimately more true. So I think you're going to find this conversation to be rich, to be full, to be robust, and I hope you walk away from it wanting to do just a little bit more with your voice too. So without further ado, I give to you, Ivy Eld. All right, Carolyn, I am so happy to have you here on the podcast. I'm really excited for people to be introduced to you and learn more about your story and sort of the arc of a creative journey that you have been on and are in the midst of. Uh, But I was wondering if we could just start by having you share a bit about what you remember about the time in which we connected, the time that you actually reached out to me. It's funny, I was thinking to myself as I was preparing for this conversation, I have a very distinct memory of you on Zoom in the room that you were in, in our very first session. And it's funny because you and I have only ever met virtually. Um, But so I have, but I still have that sort of like first impression memory of the day we connected. Um, But I'm wondering what, what was going on in your life at the moment that brought you to connect with me? Yes. Well, so I'll back up because a few years before that, when I first reached out to you, you were on my radar for many years. And I remember listening to you on a Rob Bell podcast and thinking, I'm going to work with him someday. And I just <laughs> I said that and it was, it, I was very serious. It just felt like that wasn't the time, but I knew I was going to work with you. And so when it came time, my process to finally follow through with this desire to put an album out into the world, I knew who my vocal coach was going to be. <laughs> so I reached out to you and, and just that I, you, it's so funny because I remember distinctly, I remember that Zoom call too and being in my room and this was like beginning of the pandemic. So we were trying to figure out energetically, it felt awful to be meeting with my own clients in my room, but it was all, I was juggling that with 
working at home and two young kids. And so there I was in my room, but I remember so distinctly you, you saying, I'm going to tell you all the reasons that you probably shouldn't work with me. Um, and you named some things just very quickly about my voice that were very, felt very intuitive and very um, just spot on. And I knew like I, I knew, even though you were going to deconstruct my voice and you warned me and said, I don't know if you want to do this right before you go into a recording studio. And I still just being stubborn felt like, no, I'm, I'm supposed to work with you. I, and I felt many things aligning too. So lots of things kind of kerplunked into place in that, in that little consult. And so that was the beginning of how we started working together. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so interesting to think about. I forgot that that was at the beginning of the pandemic, but it was, which actually, so, so take me back just a little bit further. What had transpired previously that had brought you to this point of actually wanting to make a recording? Cause you mentioned that you reached out to me because you were anticipating recording an album. Um, and then to think about tackling that at the <laughs> beginning of a pandemic. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Oh, I was struggling with laryngitis. I was, I was, that was kind of a chronic thing that I, I had been navigating and I would often get that in the winter and just felt like my voice needed some attention and love and everything that I had ever, I was self-taught with, with voice. Like I think you and I discussed so many people do that. I took piano lessons. I took guitar lessons. I've had some help and instruction around songwriting, but for some reason I had it in my mind. I know how to sing. I don't need support around this, but my voice was telling me otherwise. My body was telling me otherwise. So that was a part of that, that process of reaching out to you but this was this had been in the works to do an album for probably about five years. So it was a long, like this seed was planted and juggling a career, um, 15 years as a, as a psychotherapist, as well as two young kids. It was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to stay steady with it, stay committed. But it was a long haul. It was a long haul from when, when the seed was really planted, which I would say the seeds were planted when I was a little kid writing songs at my piano at age 10. But at age 40 was when I, I just felt like these soul whispers that I could not ignore anymore. And it was going to, um, it was going to be more suffering for me to not follow this than, than to follow it, even, even with the challenges. So that's, yeah, that is a lot of backstory, even before I reached out to you around that. I mean, so many people are listening to you right now and resonating with what you're saying and they don't even know much about your story but just some of those key pieces of like it was going to be more suffering to not yeah. do this like that is such uh, a, a critical um yet essential part of the creative process and the human experience as a creative and this, this idea of like i'm i'm meant to make something I meant to create something and life has transpired as such that I haven't done this one thing or, or these things until this point and then like something happens. But I think what's interesting about you and one of the reasons I really wanted to connect with you today and share your story for others, the ones that are resonating with what you're saying is because you you stuck it out. Like that idea of this taking five years, um, I think most people don't understand that a lot of times that's what it takes mm -hmm. uh and it's it's a frustrating truth but from idea <laughs> to creation to actually like having the thing manifest in front of you is often a long process especially when you're at a point in your life where you have 
responsibilities and you have people that you have to take care of that you have to keep alive in yes. your case and so <laughs> forth so um so i want to talk more about that but can you take us back and just tell us a little bit more about you as a musician growing up you said at the piano as a kid um but who are you as a singer where did the origins of you as a singer songwriter come from oh that's a great question uh I think like the the kind of nutshell version would be just where I started when I was younger was piano was my first instrument. And so started when I was when I was seven years old on piano, classically trained. And I even at that age, I was a I was a writer. I liked composing. Um, so doodling and playing on piano and starting to vocalize with what I was playing on piano, that's how it all started for me. And I think I wrote my first official, <laughs> it's funny, um, the song is, of course, It Flames. I remember it from age <laughs> 10, very cinematic and big as a 10-year-old plunking this out and very, with with so much passion. So um, it's, but that was little me. That was, that was me at age 10 when I got into college, started exploring voice. Um, and writing writing songs, and that's where I picked up a guitar and taught myself guitar, and and I think that that's kind of that that's the beginning of of who I am even now um, is the just that singer songwriter being really drawn to yeah Tori Amos and um, Alan Alanis Alanis Morissette and Sarah McLachlan like all yes. these voices that were really big for me yeah. in that time are very influential and flavor the album that I put out so so it's kind of retro in that way I guess. <laughs> So why not pursue more singing, writing, performing? Why did it take you until now to get the recording done and do this? Yes. Oh, so, so many reasons. But I I really, um, a lot of it was was confidence, lack of confidence, lack of the, a lot, a lot of the not enoughs, not good enoughs, which so many artists, I think, resonate with and, and understand. And, and so I think there were moments, I remember being in a Sarah McLaughlin concert at age 25 and walking away and just saying, I'm going to do this thing. And yep. I went on a solo retreat for a weekend. And, and it was just, it was my inner critic that went out um, so often. Um, and then it was also this, this part of myself, I'm an Enneagram 2 in the Enneagram world, I'm a helper. So that that's what the Enneagram 2 is. And at the core... Just tell people really briefly, what is the Enneagram in case oh, they're the listening Enneagram, and don't know. Yeah. The Enneagram, it is a, um, that and internal family systems are two two things I love to work with within within my own psychotherapy practice. But the, it's it's essentially a personality, um, kind of like, like Myers-Briggs, but I think seeing Enneagram coming out more and more these days. So it's nine different personality types and all the different nuances kind of what drives us. And so one through nine. And so I'm a, I'm a two. And um, so as a helper, one of the struggles is that we can often become martyrs. We can kind of take ourselves and martyr ourselves as it, as it were. And I also grew up in the church where that was very encouraged was, especially as a woman, it's just, this is, this is my role. It was a role within my family system as well. Growing up um, with my brother with very severe mental illness, there wasn't a lot of room for me and my needs. So I learned at a young age, um, this was this is where I show up. This is how I take as little space as possible. This is how I um, make sure that other people, I'm not putting other people out with my needs. Um, so, so then that means music gets put on the back burner, right? Because that takes takes up space. That's a need of mine, but how does this serve anyone else? And so all of those stories 
where it was, I wanted to go into a life of service. And that's how I ended up in the psychotherapy world, um, which I'm passionate about. I love, but I'm in a very different place in my life. It's not my identity anymore. I don't see myself as, as a helper. In fact, the Enneagram too, when they go to growth, they go to what is the artist within that Enneagram system. So the Enneagram four, which is actually, this is a, for me, this is growth. This is personal growth to actually take up space with the healthy parts of the Enneagram four, which are big, passionate feelings and really exploring that inner artist and, um, and showing up in my own unique way, which is what this has all been about. So this is me absolutely stepping into that place of growth, but it was many, many decades really of being lost in service as a psychotherapist, as a mother. Um, and I think there's, there's really ancestral pieces too. Oh, for sure understanding my, you know, my mother, grandmother, great grandmother, and just like thinking about these artists in my family and how, because of religious trauma, because of patriarchy, whatever it might be, lots of layers of why they weren't able to follow that artist part of their heart. Yeah. So I, this is, (laughs) I'm thinking as I'm listening to you that the, the beauty of your story is, is that you're you are at the point in your life which allows you to see this mm. holistically. Like you're able to talk about this holistically. And that's like the gift of the amount of time mm-hmm. that it took for this to happen, right? Because you can put the pieces together in a way that makes a whole, a sense of the whole of your life. And and it's not just about recording an album. It's about liberating your ancestors, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and that's, yeah, I don't think I would have thought that at 25 no. away from the Sarah McLaughlin show, it was just more, more about ego and still passion, but it was, I, it, it, I needed this internal infrastructure, like you said, to get to this place. So yes, it's coming from a very, very different place. Yeah. And I think that that's just so exciting to think about and consider. And I also certainly resonate with this idea that you're sharing around, um, I, I, the act of service. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's so interesting because you, you hear this a lot from artists and creative and creatives and specifically musicians when they're thinking, when their life isn't like oriented around that being sort of a central theme, um, that question around what is this worth? <laughs> like, you know, what does this give anyone? What does this allow? What does this offer? You know, and I just, I have to spend a whole other podcast episode on this, but, but the function of your voice, the function of your music, the function of your creativity is by its very nature, an act of service. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately when you can approach specifically performing and recording from that mindset, from that understanding that what I'm doing is serving the greater good of the whole universe it puts you at a much uh freer place for expression it it takes you away from some of the self-consciousness of uh that we can get caught up into the fear of what people think this is an offering this is a blessing this is a prayer this is a you know you name it uh and that in and of itself is service and it takes a real maturity to be able to frame our creative expression in that way you know that that i've that i'm using my voice i've recorded this song as an act of service you know um that this isn't a selfish endeavor that selfishness isn't uh isn't uh even worth 
you know, considering in this mm-hmm. realm that that this is an expression of self. Uh, yeah. This isn't a feeding. This isn't a feeding of the self for just the sake of feeding the self. Well, it's funny that you're saying that because it makes me think of part of why it it was so hard for me to think about singing as service was that I enjoyed it. <laughs> so oh, wow. long it was like the suffering servant. So again, this is getting back into kind of some of the, the, um, that religious oppression around performance or around singing or around music to have that tie of there's some, this, like I enjoyed it so much that, and even I remember times where when we were on zoom and we were doing lessons and you were reminding me to smile, like there was <laughs> there's something in me that still felt like this is uh, it, it was hard for me to receive that. It was hard for me to really receive that in my body to just say, oh, I get to enjoy this fully. I get to be in my body, enjoy this experience of expression and singing and vocalizing. But it's it it didn't feel like service. Like they didn't go hand in hand for so long. It was, well, this is too much fun to be service. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, that message, that message is so strong for so many of us. And that's such a hindrance because again, it's like, like that element. So if I am, if I'm having this embodied experience of joy, which it is, like there's no two ways about it. When you sing, I mean, all of the science tells us that the the hormonal experience is one of good feelings, of good vibes, <laughs> you know, and that you that no matter what, you walk away, you feel better. Um, it's just built into the mechanism of using your voice, particularly around singing. You that can't help but then change how it is that you interact with others. You know, that can't help, but then change how it is that you get to show up um, for your kids, for your clients, for your family, friends, you know? And so that to me is this piece around, like we miss the, we miss the point so often. Like we think that the pain, that the suffering, that the struggle is the point. And it's no, it's, it's the expression of ourself in our fullest, like joyful, happy, full way mm-hmm, absolutely yes. so okay so were you singing like while you were being a therapist and while you were having kids and building a life were you singing during that time how was music showing up for you then I look at the course of my life and it was always there. It was always there. It was just something as I, as I walked through the world, singing through my day, singing to my kids at night, lullabies, like that's just those things, um, singing along with the radio, even every now and then grabbing my guitar and writing something. But it was very, that was far and few between as far as what I was actually like dedicating time for creating. Um, And really the creative, the kind of the creative part about playing with my voice or playing with the song that got lost and buried really beneath many layers of navigating a lot of trauma with working with combat veterans for 10 years, for instance, there, or when my kids were first born and just kind of the, the survival state when you're first not sleeping and there's barely enough time to take a shower or drink your coffee. So, so there were, it, it got deprioritized, but, but then it would also out of necessity, as I'm talking about working with these veterans, for instance, it was like, I had to have some way to process. So there were times where it was just, I was compelled to dig my guitar out and um, or sit down on my piano and write as a, as a way to to just process that because it was so much. So I think that's 
And that that's where I think the seeds really started of how, why am I, why have I let this be buried for so long? I had a, a veteran actually reflect, reflect back to me and kind of in a joking way, um, when I sang a song that I shared that I'd written for them and just to the impact. And this was probably about 10 years ago now. And he just pulled me aside. He said, why are you working here? Mm. <laughs> you need to be a rock star. And it was like, it was very sweet. And I kind of chuckled and a little ego stroke, but it also planted a seed of yeah. what am I doing? Like why? I, I love this. I love I love to write. And then there's also this, like, when you get to share it, that's another layer of it. It's beautiful when we write and it gets to be medicine for ourselves. And that's how it started. I think the most authentic things I've ever created are just from that process. This isn't about sharing. It's starting with just creating for me. I mean, that story, again, I think so many people can relate to that where someone says something to you like that Mm -hmm. and it, illuminates something you actually already know yes. I mean it's it's something that maybe you wouldn't even allow yourself to admit mm-hmm. but it's like you're like I know I know that I'm supposed to be doing this I know that you know something deep within me knows that uh and it's not I think a lot of times people won't allow themselves to confront their dreams um because it feels like an affront to where it is that they are Right. Like, because if you actually said to yourself, well, why am I not doing this? Does that mean you have to leave your job? <laughs> you know, that, and, and that's well, those for are, me, I had to. Yeah. Right. But those are tricky conversations to be able to have. So it's much easier to just suppress those yes. thoughts, those ideas, even though you know they're true, even though you know something within you is like, yeah, this isn't it. This isn't right. This doesn't feel aligned. This doesn't feel like where I'm able to show up and be myself in the way that the world needs um yeah. i mean i have those i have <laughs> definitely had those moments in my history and i i do look back always just like and have to laugh at myself because i was like what were you waiting for <laughs> you know like well really what were you waiting for and it, and it looks and now i look at myself and i think you know particularly when i worked in some office settings and i was so frustrated because i didn't feel seen or acknowledged uh in the way that i needed to be and i was like it's because you just weren't in the right space like and you knew that the whole time <laughs> you know uh but it takes for whatever reason these various situations in our lives but it's so lovely to have a moment like that where someone actually names it for you i mean honestly i feel like that's my job sometimes is to name it for people is like just to say like this thing I know it feels like it works right now, but it might not be it. It might not be the thing that yes. works. Because sometimes you just need someone to say that to you. It's true. Yeah. So like, so you said you sang in front of the veterans that you're working with. Were there other like performances? Like, did you ever get on stage? How did, how did that show up yeah. prior to this moment? Well, church is where it started, I think, for, for a lot of us. Like, I feel like that that there's this natural stage that's there, although yeah. that's, that's complicated in and of itself, yep. <laughs> the shame that comes sometimes comes around performance. So I had this love hate relationship, even with performance at a young age, I have some crazy stories there, <laughs> but um, yeah, like that's where it started. And then once I worked through some of that enough to be in a band in my mm-hmm. early twenties, that's where some of these, some, there were other seeds that were planted there of, of being, um, playing alongside, I wasn't lead vocals, but I was, there were some songs that I would lead, but most of them I was doing 
harmonies and uh, piano. So that was that that kind of started. That was a band in Michigan, and just in little ways. So when I left, finally left the um, the government job that I was working in, I was working in the VA, and that there was such it was so hard to have any space for creativity within that system for me. And so that was when I actually had enough space and my body relaxed enough. There was a little bit of space in my schedule to finally start. And this was five years ago. And this is, you started your own therapy practice. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was based around, and that was, that was a risk in and of itself. There were a lot of fears of what is this going to be? Um, starting my first business, just being an entrepreneur, it's like birthing something new into the world. And so, right. I was just thinking, I think what you did is so common because a lot of times people um, find themselves in systems that feel supportive or safe in some way yet the system doesn't allow them the space that they need to to create but there's sort of a circular thought process where they'll think what well, i need the stability in order to be creative in order to make what it is i want to make or pursue what it is that i want to pursue um but they can't sort of get the um elbow room <laughs> to actually make it happen and so the dream keeps like sort of fizzling keeps sort of dying and i've seen so many times that when people pursue their creative endeavors they often will have a career change as a part of that and a lot of times that career change will be entrepreneurial not always but there's something about this taking ownership of your own destiny taking this uh taking your autonomy back in a way particularly as it relates to um your income and your work and and there's you know <laughs> <laughs> being a I guess an entrepreneur myself like that's way scarier ultimately than, <laughs> than uh some of the creative stuff that we find ourselves afraid to do I think you know there's a lot more at stake in in that sort of an endeavor but it's interesting that those two things accompany and it's interesting that that was sort of like a linchpin moment for you yes. that then allowed you to get the ball rolling well, and I would say even my body, yeah, like my body told me it was time to go. So I think for me, it was this moment of ending up in the ER at 2 a.m. with a doctor, as, you know, as a psychotherapist, realizing I was having a panic attack and feeling some shame around that, it, but wondering, okay, could I be having a heart attack? And my husband's saying, we need to go to the ER because we don't know. And that's often the thing with heart attacks and panic attacks is we'll end up in the ER for the same reason. But that was, that was kind of my like kick out the door <laughs> of this toxic system that was not making any space for my creativity. There was just no room for that. My body was like, I can't do this anymore. So that I think was the catalyst then of, okay, this is a risk. I need to take, this feels like a risk to leave, but then it's also really risky for me to stay. So kind of that same thing of, I could suffer, I could suffer and stay. My body is obviously not happy, like my physical body, um, and let alone emotionally, spiritually, all those things existentially, but that it's like, I could stay here and suffer, or I could go out here and suffer, you know, quote, unquote, yeah. suffer it because that's my anxiety around that. But really like getting out there was absolutely, it was challenging. There was, there were stressors around it, but I would, I would never go back. Yeah. I would, like, <laughs> like just, I, 
I can't even fathom going back into that system, having this autonomy and freedom, which that's scary for people, even just that autonomy and freedom feels, feels terrifying as much as we might say, this sounds wonderful to have freedom. People are really scared of that and all, all of that means and represents. So I, I mean, people make, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that about the panic attack. Cause again, I think so many people can relate to that. Like, you know, when you find yourself in the midst of this crisis, and especially if that crisis seems like it butts head up against the things that you should, I'm using quotes, should know. Um, but it's, it's just a real part of what it is to be human, <laughs> a yeah. real part of what it is to go through this journey of discovering ourselves, of coming back home to ourselves, awakening. And sometimes we have to have these moments in the ER and it's unfortunate, but it's true. And those can be catalysts, the actual catalysts that we need for real change. Um, I think about them as, you know, just moments of crisis. And so often these moments of crisis are what help us ultimately pursue our voice journey, our, our journey into coming into the fullness of our expression. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, but I think too, like that, that piece about freedom is so paramount. And, and I am not, I believe wholeheartedly that people can do, uh, make amazing things in circumstances I couldn't imagine. There's no one circumstance that one needs to finally pursue their creative expression, their voice, their music, whatever. But I think that freedom, space, I've observed in others and in myself that freedom and space are paramount, that malleability, that flexibility are key to allowing for the muse to come through and allowing for the creative mind to um step into its fullness and it's just an unfortunate truth and again i could be proven wrong i'd love i love for people to prove me wrong i'd i love for you know my friends that like have um lives that are a little bit more constricted to still make beautiful and wonderful things and i believe that they can do that but i think that that a life that gives the creative person a sense of some autonomy a sense of again space Mm -hmm. is so um, nurturing mm -hmm. in finding the ability to actually put out in the world what it is that Absolutely. we want to put out. Yes, I think it's, is it Julia Cameron that wrote yes. this way? I've, she talks about that all, all the time about boredom being being an important thing for the artist, right? Space to, to have enough space to actually experience boredom. And yeah, and if anyone doesn't know I recommend the artist way to clients all the time. It's an essential tool, especially if you're considering yourself as a as a musician and it's not something you thought of before, or as a singer, or as a songwriter, or as an artist. This book has some very simple um, prompts and guides. It's called The Artist Way by Julia Cameron, and it's so 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 many people um, name it as a as a useful tool on that journey. So. Sweet, nothing's in my ears. Sparkling snow sizzles in the fire. Nature's singing like a winter choir. Velvet winds caress my face. 
quickening in my heart's pace I start to dance as the birch trees sway and moan A liberation song rising from my bones Okay, so you took the risk you had the courage the bravery you had the moment of crisis that pointed you toward this you know new possibility of a life that had more space and then the space presented itself and those little seeds started to grow that said you gotta record some music um when did you actually decide to pull the trigger what happened that you were like no i gotta do it well, it feels so it was like I said, five years ago that I started just feeling like I turned 40. And I think like so many of us, when we turn this magic age um, or kind of around that age, there's just things that are that we're really reflecting on in life and kind of looking at, OK, like maybe I lived half my life or even if it's not as it's not as distinct as that. It, it's like you're you're starting to look at what am I doing with my life? What kind of legacy am I leaving? I think like kids brought that up for me. Um, also, just feeling a sense of new liberation and space. Like, what do I want to do with this? That feels like it really matters to me. Um, and of course, the, the the two in me that's like, how can it matter for the world or how can I help people? But I, that was just this consistent soul whisper. I think I did a 40 day challenge with Yoga Nidra. And so for 40 days, it was just being with myself and just taking this time to go within, um, which it, that was newer for me to to really drop into a meditation practice. And since then, it's just been a vital part of, of my everyday life. But that was this real structured support around just going inside and so I was feeling that so strongly as I was going in of this like this music needs to come out and also getting some sense of connection with my ancestral roots uh, that this is like this is a part of my ancestral lineage too that this is I have this songstress lineage and so some of that is known to me um, some of it was more just things that I was kind of sensing and feeling into but really feeling like, okay, this is like, I was made for this. I was made for to share these songs. And so that's, that's when it became, I want to record these. So then I realized I don't have anything I want to record. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, so I had done a lot of songwriting and written, I don't know, maybe like 30 or 40 songs throughout the course of three decades, but nothing that I felt really excited about putting down. So that was where I really started taking my songwriting craft more seriously as well. So so just realizing, okay, I'm going to put these songs out. I'm going to spend a chunk of money to do that. I want to really love these songs that go on here. So it was about a year, a year and a half to two years of just writing, a, like just being prolific, writing a lot of songs. And I think really um, honing my craft in that way. And then when I felt like, oh, I have my songs, then that was a year and a half, two years later, that's when I started looking for um, sound engineer, a studio, and then the world shut down with the pandemic. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, which that was my first hiccup. So by the time I actually got to the studio, I was on my third studio and um, third sound engineer. So it definitely took perseverance, especially through, through the pandemic. But I think that only, maybe this is my personality and resolve like by that time i just felt like i am supposed to do this <laughs> i'm doing this <laughs> ain't nothing gonna stop me <laughs> yes with everything that i went through and then my brother getting sick um shortly after we started working together and him passing away like just 
so many reasons to not do it. So many reasons to not follow through. So yeah, you and I uh, shared a loss of, you know, very, my mom died in November, 2021. And when did your brother pass? November. So it was the oh, same, it was the same month. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So we shared this, you know, significant loss in our lives um, right at that same time. And, and uh, I'm just curious, like how that, cause, cause we're okay. So you and I connect, we start doing the work. I think at that, by that point, you were pretty close to like getting the ball oh, rolling. Wow, recording. Was my second studio. Yes. <laughs> I was going to go in and then we had a new variant and the studio like was, was that whole thing was, can we, is it even safe to go into a studio and sing and what's going on with COVID? And, and then my brother took a turn with, with his cancer. And so the week I was supposed to record I flew home to say goodbye to him. I flew home to Minnesota, back to Minnesota to say goodbye. So that was like, okay, this isn't happening. This is not the time. This is this is not where when it's supposed to be. I need to be with my brother. I need to be able to say goodbye. And um, so that was, yeah, that was, um, you know, the fall of 2021. How do you see that time now? I mean, like, I just, in my own experience with my mom's death, like, everything stops like when mm -hmm. you have someone so close to you when you lose someone so close to you like that it's kind of like literally nothing else matters in the moment it's very clear that nothing else matters but how do you put that now as you look back in the context of your journey to actually get this album recorded mm. does that make sense yes um i I think at the time there were so many emotions going through me and so, um, so much, of course there was disappointment of I've worked so, so long to get right. to here. Um, and this is my brother. This is my only sibling. I love him dearly. I was devastated with the diagnosis and he had been fighting cancer on and off for years, but then it came back in force in the spring and I knew my year was going to be up in the air. I just knew that this, this was going to take his life. And so it's like to, to be creating with that, even this pre um, kind of a, what would you call it? Like a preemptive or anticipatory grief. So right. I was just huh. anticipating like, and creating, I struggled. I remember talking with you about this, like struggling with, do I even continue to do this? Do I, how do I show up for my creative self? And then those old voices of this is selfish. Like how are, how, who are you to be here creating and following this dream and doing something you enjoy and love while your brother is suffering. And, um, and so I had finally kind of come to peace of, oh, the artist part of me matters yeah. too. And it's not selfish. And, oh, and now here, my brother has cancer and he's dying. And, um, it was, it was just a real mind, like, like a mind fuck, like to yeah. go through all of that during, during that, um, that time. But it also feels like it was, it was part of that path too. And, and my, my brother, um, was a musician as well. And, and he, uh, suffering from schizophrenia all of his life, he had a very different view on it. He didn't quite understand the performance piece or like he was very private with his art, but he also felt um, in his own way, there was a sweet excitement of like, oh, you're like, you're doing this thing. This is like, when are you going to the studio? He was asking questions even in the hospital. Um, so it was actually this real bonding 
connection with him, music was the one thing that really brought us together through his um, kind of despite his illness and through that. So um, yeah, I just, I feel like it sounds cliche, but it, it does feel like it was, it unfolded the way it was supposed to and just kind of letting go and trusting that instead of, oh, like I'm not supposed to make this album. See, like all these things are, um, like, like I, I felt like this is going to happen, but for some reason it's not right now. Yeah. It's like letting this go and just trusting because the grief, like, you right. know, is so heavy and so consuming. And I thought, am I ever going to come out from under this blanket of grief? And, um, and then just, yeah, just being with that was a real act of compassion for, for myself to just, to show up and, and be with that. said this before and I, it's a tricky thing to say so I say it with caution but I now believe that that grief is sort of a gift like that it's something that that we're given by the loss of the ones that we love the most as a way of it's like a refining fire it's like as a way of actually showing us the truth of who it is that we are and if I think about your situation in that sort of context I think about the years that you weren't able to prioritize the artist, the creative, the maker, the singer, you know, the expressor. Um, and then you finally got a hold of that. But then it was like the universe was like, but that's not it either. Like there's something more expansive than even that. Right. And so just hold, hold it on this. You have to approach this from an even wider lens. Yes. I don't know. I don't mean to impose upon your story, but I just wonder if that resonates at all. It does. Yeah. It's, it's just so, I think you don't see the layers of like the most, like, or maybe like if you think of a mosaic when you're right up close, it's just like, it just felt like a muddled mess. And all I could do was just breathe in and out each day. All I could do was just be present. Um, and it, like you said, it was it was kind of simultaneously when I wasn't weighed down, which I think when you're in that acuity with grief, I was the same way where when it's so acute, it's like this whole idea of, oh, grief, like we can process things creatively with like grief also helps us process those things. I think that's true. But when you're like, when it's so fresh and raw and you're just in it, it is like just breathing in and out and yeah. showing up for each day is like, like the creative process takes some energy to even engage, to even pick up an instrument to sing. Like there's, I, I felt the same way of like, I would let people sing over me. I remember listening to like some of your meditations or just like that, that was music was really um, everything you just feel. It's like in this technicolor when you're going through grief, everything is so, so intense. And so, which is, I think kind of a beautiful thing in and of itself to feel like the clarity of, this life is short and this person I love is like, is no longer here. And to feel, to feel that is, is a gift. I think that, that I didn't see it in the moment. It was just like, okay, survive, be present to this, let the tears continue to flow um, or be numb if I need to like, just be in that place or whatever it is. But 
but that's, but this, I don't know who says, who says this, but, um, grief is, uh, grief is love with nowhere to go. I don't right. know. Yes. Yeah. I totally. think it's so true that it is representative of this love. So when this grief shows up, it's just a reminder. Like when I feel it now, I was starting to sit down and even just write a song last night. I, and, and my brother passed away in November 7th, 2001. And I have not written a song about him. Like I just haven't, it just hasn't been, I've started, it's, it's not been, it's not been the right time. And so last night just felt this real strong um, sense of his presence in my room and just like wrote this song, starting to sing to him. And I was just sobbing, like, but to, but it feels like those are all stages in this, in this process. But so then how are you able to, how are you able to pull out of that? And, and what were the next steps? What happened after that? I think it was a weird place of this was, it was so heavy. It was like this, this experience of how in the world am I going to go on after this? But it was also the clarity. It was the both and of like, okay, life is short. And I think there was something in me too, that felt this real connection to my brother had, um, he would always tell me, and he was very passionate and very, like, very, it was really important that I got his music gear. Um, and so some of the last words, um, actually, I can't tell you about that because I'll probably start like that. It was, it was a really sweet last moment, but um, I know I'll start bawling if, <laughs> if I go there. But it was essentially just, um, he, it was very important that I got his gear and yeah. that, that he had this, the, the idea of an instrument not being played was just the ultimate sin for him. So, so to have instruments collecting dust. And um, so I feel like it was, there was a fire kind of lit under me of like, this feels like now it's not only about um, my inner artist, this is about honoring, you know, my brother's yeah. um, inner artist. So I guess it's like an homage to him, um, which is, that's the alchemy. I'm crying anyway, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I've, you know, I've, you know, I've been, I've cried before in our sessions. <laughs> That's all right. It's beautiful. Um, but it just got so much bigger. It was like, it was already big, but then all of a sudden it became like, in a way of like, I get to celebrate his life and this is an homage and this, this honors him um, by, by showing up for my artist self. So I ended up in a studio that I would have probably before he passed away, thought I have no business being here. And I think I talked with you about this process and was so intimidated walking through this gorgeous uh, studio drop of sun in West Asheville. And, but just the most delightful engineers that I met and just felt like, okay, well maybe like I'll put out feelers. Here's my budget. Could this even work in your busy schedule? And it did, it, it all came together. Um, and Oh, it was it was just a magical experience in the studio, and I can't say enough wonderful things about all the magic packed into those three days. But like six months on the heels of losing my brother, I think that there was this momentum of just like, okay, I'm doing this thing, and now I'm really doing this thing. Like there was such fierce clarity, and um, it was it was really powerful. So wow, yeah, yeah, it's powerful to listen to if in the whole of the trajectory. That's really really beautiful. Um, okay. There are two or three things that are on my mind. One is, um, take us to the voice journey part of this, uh, as you and I together were going through these songs, 
thinking about applying your voice to them in a way that felt like it would allow you to do what it is that you want to do in these recordings and in future performances. Tell us just a little bit about that experience, about, as you as you said, the deconstruction of your voice. <laughs> and it truly was, yes. <laughs> oh, it was such a... Um, you warned me that it would be a vulnerable process and and I knew I knew that. I think I have a really distinct memory of, of of us on a particular day and I left and and I think I was tearful at the end of the session and I just kind of like went and cried. It, but it was like a good it was this realization of how much I had been protecting my voice and you were naming that so beautifully and um just just naming like, Hey, I see you doing these things with your voice. Like you're doing these little fancy accoutrements and, and, but you were saying, I see you, you were saying, I see like, you don't need that anymore. You don't need this thing that these, these, these things that you've built up around your voice um, that are actually hurting your voice physiologically. And so there was such an invitation from you to to really, but it's vulnerable. And that I think was where the tears were coming from. It's like, oh no, he sees, he sees what I'm doing. And no one's ever named that before. And you were naming these things, but also a belief of like, actually beneath that, there's something even more beautiful. There's something more real. And that's like to really tap into that. So I think that was, it was so freeing, uh, but also terrifying because totally. I'm stripping away these things that were, that were, I guess, like training wheels for my voice of just, but I was still riding with the training wheels and um, there, it was a different session, but so distinctly remember you also just saying like, sing, sing your fucking lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds <And> it, right. <laughs> yes. But I, and that has stuck with me because you were, we, you were guiding me through this process of just like keeping the energy, like singing the words that I, that, and you explained as a singer songwriter, how oftentimes we sing these songs over and over and over and we lose our connection to the meaning and to the energy behind them. And so, so just like, that was really powerful for me to be reminded of and just just sing from sing what you've already written like sing these sing these words and this poetry that's already come from your heart rather than um than treating it like from afar and kind of i don't know what what was your observation I so well let me first start by saying i hold singer songwriters at sort of with the utmost reverence because i think from a singing standpoint to be able to sing your own songs is an incredible experience. It will, it is not the same as singing someone else's song. It will never be. And no one else will ever sing your song the way that you could sing your song. Uh, and, and, but I also, I love, love, love working with singer songwriters because there are all these sort of things that they do uh, often do that are, incongruent with that that notion that like this is your song like you you get to sing the song you wrote this song you can do anything you want with the song it's your song you wrote these words you wrote them from your lived experience live your words you know uh but so the so the first thing that you said you know where i was like naming these things about what it was that you were doing your voice this happens with singer songwriters that they often develop some affectations around how it is that they do certain things as a way to individuate, as a way to sort of set themselves apart, and they can become married to the affect 
despite its application to the music <laughs> and so these like things like these hiccups and stuff and, and some of these are like things that we love in certain artists you know we think about artists like Sinead O'Connor or people that have like weird things that they do right or weird qualities and some of the things are, are key or even like a share right like you hear that sound it's so iconic you know it um in that quality is 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 quintessential you need it but at the same time from a human perspective it can limit your ability to actually express what it is that you're expressing and when you get the privilege of expressing your own lyrics it's like sometimes you got to like neutralize what it is that you're doing cut away the bullshit and just like sing the words like sing your lyrics and and sing them from a place of neutrality and allow for your voice to or for allow for the ex expression the emotion to travel through that and be what it is um by itself it's a, it's a element of surrender that i think that the especially the, the singer songwriter has the possibility of connecting with that is quite unique um and so and i think too like you represent a lot of people who had spent a lot of your life listening to certain artists use their voice a certain way and so that's incredible because when we listen to you we know where your voice lands mm -hmm. we don't have to search for it it's like there but at the same time how do you keep your sound in that like how do you find yourself amidst that and uh, so I think a lot of what we were doing but but the piece too that you had mentioned that is important is that that can be inhibitive to actually like essentially that can manifest in constriction in your throat it can be inhibitive to you actually even expressing you know what it is that you want to express at all things can get suffocated can get swallowed can get squeezed uh just to create a a, a signature affect right so yeah. taking that away just letting the words come through letting the body be free and coordinated well can be super powerful and i think that you were really able to do that and one of the things that i loved in working with you in this process was your maturity like that emotional maturity piece because it allows me to then say those things to you and you to feel them for them to feel scary but also those not to be um deal breakers like yeah. the, the, you're not hearing me attacking you as a person when you work with young artists so often if you critique the affect they'll think that you're trying to take away who they are as an artist mm -hmm. yeah you know and really what I'm trying to do is turn their body into the vessel for expressing mm -hmm. who they are as a person which will be the most interesting version of who they are, can be as an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you got to whittle away at all those different pieces. But I really appreciated that. And I think also for you, and I've said this uh, with some other people I've worked with recently too, is like that actually allowed you then to move more quickly through the process because you're not meeting, you know, however much resistance you felt it was minimal compared to what some other people feel. Uh, and so it allowed you to actually do the work that we did in a, in a pretty efficient timeline mm. in getting this recording goal that you had done. Sometimes yeah. when people come to me and they have, they're like, I want to do this recording, it makes me nervous because they oftentimes won't be able to embrace the fullness of our work in a way that I'll actually be able to support them to do what it is that they want to do. There will be so much resistance because they have the specific thing that they're trying to achieve and they already have it in their mind that it happens in a specific way. And if I do anything that messes with that, it's like it puts it just 
you know, the back, the back hairs in the back stand up, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to get this. Yeah, so well, uh, surrender, right? Yes. Like, that's what I'm kind of hearing is that there's, I think grief also, there's a lubricant in that in this process, because it's like that, like, there, there's such surrender and grief, you can't, you, I couldn't do anything to control my brother, not leaving this earth, mm -hmm. like there. So I think whenever you have experiences with surrender, there it it helps you let go this was a surrender for me it was like oh okay <laughs> this thing is being named and I really want to hang on tight and I've been through this before I've been like I know I know I like I guess to trust the process and trust myself and trust my voice and so it sounds like that's some of what you're naming is just trusting that surrender as terrifying as it can be is also there's something often beautiful on the other side or more beautiful than we can imagine yeah. if we hang on. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. And it's especially difficult to do it when you're like, I've got this thing that I'm going to accomplish. I've got this money that I'm going to spend. This is how long I have to do it by now. It's particularly difficult, but it's not impossible if you can have the wherewithal to know that it's going to be uncomfortable, to know that it's going to be itchy sometimes, uh, and to allow yourself to go through the feelings, to be like, oh, he sees me. That's kind of scary. I don't know if I like that, but not allow that to do you in, that you have the grit and stability. And that's actually what I was thinking earlier when you were talking about your story that's so cool is the longevity of this process is the reason you're able to get to and through this process. <laughs> you know, it's it's remarkable to see that in its full full scope. Um tell us about being in the studio for the first time. What was the experience of standing behind a microphone? What was that like for you? Mm. Oh, it was so many things. I mean, it was it was exhilarating, lots of adrenaline, um, but also a lot of ease. I think once, and I think working with you really helped to prepare me for that, like to prepare that at the end of the day, I think you even used the words, like you can prepare all you want, but just, it was another moment of surrender. It was like another invitation to, this is going to be what it's going to be. And to kind of surrender to that process because it really was its own little creative cocoon for three days, we lost track of time. I lost track of time, and the, and just to be with a team of, of other musicians and engineers, and kind of make this magic together. Because these were my songs that were already written, but they were co-creating in that they were adding instrumentation and drums and bass and mellotron and guitar and all all these different layers. So the production piece was all birthed within that three days, which was, as I talk with, with other people, they, they often will tell me that's not generally how it happens. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I got very lucky. And I also, um, I think it was just like, it was ready to, to be birthed. And all of these things came together at, at the same time. And it worked like it was, there was a little bit of a, also a budget thing of, I have three days to make totally. this happen. And so we did. And so yeah. I think that that was, there was a fire kind of lit for that yeah. reason. Well, I think you and I had a conversation too at a critical point, which I have a lot of times with people where you intended to record more songs. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, have you thought about doing fewer songs? Because in an ideal world, we would have endless budgets and time and, you know, people at our disposal to play various instruments. But there is this reality of like, there's only so much you can do in this amount of time. Set yourself up for success. You know, the world may not need all of those songs from you right now. <laughs> so how can you do the ones that are most essential in the best, highest form, highest quality possible? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that I'm glad that I did the EP versus doing a full a full length album that will be down the road. And I think totally. in this day and age, so many people are releasing singles um, anyway. And so to do an EP is even like it's 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 a step up from a single in that yeah. my five songs. But um, but it felt like okay, this is this is perfect. This is the perfect perfect amount as far as budget time. And I'd rather have five songs that I'm super proud of and throwing some that felt sloppy or we had totally. to finish too quickly. And so that felt well, I think that, you know, you're right. It's a single world. Actually, it's like a, a it's a TikTok world now. So it's like, you know, <laughs> 30 second world or 15 second. But um but oh so a lot of people aspire to record an album, which I think is a super good aspiration. Uh a, a wonderful if that's something you want to do in your life at some point you should absolutely record an album because it's like writing a book it's like it's a whole thing it's a whole adventure um but i think an ep from someone who is like you who hasn't been out in the world publicly as an artist is an essential way to make a statement that you have a body of work so you can send an ep to venues you can send it to other bands you can see that there's a, a there's a a catalog even you know of five songs or whatever even if it's four and it shows that you could do a show mm -hmm. so it shows that you could do a set of songs and uh, you could do 30 minutes and that is necessary so the problem with a bunch of different singles that are disjointed and disconnected they don't tell that same story so even though um they might be more productive from like a streaming standpoint they might not be as useful from a performing standpoint so i really once I think artists can play with, you know, releasing singles to begin with, but at some point I think dropping an EP is, um, is useful. That's a great point. And I, that's what I'm doing now. I did it a little backwards for most folks have a band and then they put out an EP. I put out an EP and then formed a band <laughs> to share those songs live, but that's ab absolutely been a catalyst for now. I'm doing a lot more live performances and I'm doing more this summer and this fall. So that that feels like that was that was the begin kind of the tip of the spear as well of just that saying okay I could do this because now looking back on it I'm like that wasn't that hard and as we're talking about it I think oh like it was so it was such a labor of love and so much internal energy um, this whole journey but now that it's that it's done and completed there's a sense of oh I did that thing like I could do that again I I want to do that again and that that feels that feels wonderful to know that it doesn't have to be so the first time that you do it, which I guess is true with a lot of things like that you're that you're sharing, putting out in the world, like it doesn't feel it was such a mountain to climb. And now it's like, oh, okay, I did that. And it builds confidence then for right. for those next steps. Whether yeah, I mean it was it was a mountain to climb, but now you see that you can climb it. Like that's it. You know, that's that's why that's why we have to do things like this that is why so that we know that we can do them again because until you've done it you don't know you don't know um but once you've done it it's like what else can i do what other experiences what other creations uh are possible um okay the other question i want to ask you before we wrap things up here is tell us about ivy eld yes yes yeah. so ivy eld is my artist moniker um and it felt very important for me, especially given everything I shared about my own journey. Uh, Carol Carolyn Brown is very attached to 
it's not my last name. It's, you know, it is, it's my last name, but it's not, it's not connected to my ancestry or heritage. It's my husband's heritage and it's connected to being a mom. It's connected to being a therapist. It was connected to all of these roles and it felt really important for my artist to have her own name like that. That felt very clear um, just even on a practical level to say, okay, this means enough that, that this isn't just like some annex to my life or like some like adjunct thing. This is like, oh, this, this, that was me prioritizing my art. That was me saying this is important enough. And, and IVL feels like it's almost like an invocation to that. Like, it's like speaking that name for me for so long, it took me a while to land on it, but I just felt like, okay, this is, I'm calling this, this part of me into the world. I'm reclaiming this part, coming back home to this part. And so for me, it felt really important to have a name that felt connected to my ancestors. And so Ivy is based on my great grandmother, um, Hilda Iverson or Iverson, Iverson in Norwegian. Um, and so Ivy is short for, for that, for Iverson. And um, Eld is Swedish um, for fire. Beautiful. So that's how I got IVL'd. And it's nice and simple too. It's six letters. (laughs) It's awesome. I love it. And I just remember too, when you sort of told me about it, that there was this feeling like, I don't know. I mean, it was like, um, it was like your Sasha Fierce was being revealed. You know, it's like, but, but, but we all want to have a Sasha Pierce, right? Like, or we all maybe do. And you were like, I oh, know I'm actually going to like n- take this name and this is how I'm going to move forward with this creative work. I love that. I think anything that helps us break these sort of cycles and patterns of seeing ourselves smaller or more limited than who we actually are, especially, you know, as we're more established in life, like, like you said, as a mom, as a wife, as a therapist, these identities are strong and they're important. They're essential, but they are some ways in some ways can be limiting when you're trying to see yourself as something more expansive. Yes. and something more creative something more expressive and so giving yourself that permission i just thought that that was really um bold and awesome and i always would encourage other people to consider that and the reverse might be true for someone else that they need to use their own name mm-hmm. as a part of this reclamation um you know either way is cool but allowing for your creative self to be known through your identity you know, uh, is so, so necessary for the whole of, of the process. So I really, really, I love the name I've yelled. Yes. Thank you. And it's on a really practical level too. The last name Brown is pretty common. <laughs> Not <laughs> super Googleable. An 80 year old author named Carolyn Brown when I was Googling and I thought, you know, maybe like, do I need, I feel like I need a different name. So just from a practical sense too, but totally. it was absolutely, yeah. Emotional, spiritual, all those reasons of that part finally, like, you need a name to, to set this apart enough. I just, I needed that. I really, and I know that there's other people out there, whether they're moms, people in the like parents helping world, like just, I think whenever you're in this place of being a deep helper, caretaker, like you can just get lost, you can get lost in that role. So for me, it was a, this is, this is actually a part of my identity. So yeah. Well, I've yelled, I'm mindful of time. And uh, I just want to say I'm so proud of you for seeing this through. And I know that there are um, opportunities that are coming up in the future. And uh, 
and like I said, you have this thing now, you have this catalog of work, you have this representation, this thing that shows who you are as the singer songwriter that you've always known that you are, that the in the veteran in the hospital knew that you were. And now it's, you know, an opportunity to continue to see it through, which will have its own challenges, I know, um, but will be exciting to find new mountains that you didn't know that you can climb. So just really kudos to you for having the courage to see it through all the way. I really appreciate being part of that. Thank you so much, Davin. And it's just been an honor to have you on this journey and just for your cheerleading and support and just making space for these parts of me to really rise up and be reclaimed and remembered and celebrated. So thank you for just so beautifully making this safe space to not only support, um, but challenge in a, in a supportive way. You're very good at that. <laughs> um, and just to celebrate. So it's, it's just been really, it was so wonderful to have you as a witness. And I remember you talking about being a part of my team um, in that way. And it's very isolating sometimes as an artist doing these things on your own. And so to have, to have that support was, was invaluable and profound for me. My pleasure. Tell people where they can find you. Yes. Um, well, Ivy Eld, I-V-Y-E-L-D.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook, all the socials, Spotify. Um, What's the name of that album? The name of the, it's self-titled. So Ivy Eld, Ivy Eld. Yes. Beautiful. All right. I'm sure people will check that out and uh, give it a listen. It's really, really beautiful and uh, incredible to be a first endeavor and sound so good. So I'm really proud of you. All right, my friend. All right, thanks, Davin. There is a breath of love It stirs and moves within All right. What'd you think? That was a good conversation, right? You know, if anyone ever says to me they think it's too late, they just get a giant eye roll. And Ivy Eld is a great example of, I mean, just make it happen. Like, stop worrying about where you are in the grand scheme of things and stay present with where you are now and do the thing. Do the thing that's been bubbling up in you for so long and don't apologize for it just do it make sure to listen to ivl on all of the streaming platforms spotify itunes you can connect with her on instagram at ivy.eld ivy.eld and uh, let her know that you appreciate hearing her story and if you want to connect with me i hope you will too you can find me on instagram at davin young's you can go to my website, davinyoungsvoice.com. You can send me an email, davin at davinyoungsvoice.com. Don't forget about Free Your Voice for Your Life. Don't wait. The spots are going fast. I want you to be a part of this if you know your voice can do more and you know you can't do it on your own and you need support. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm bringing you together in a community of others to step into this next 
chapter of your voice journey, which will show up as the next chapter of your life journey. I promise. Okay, my friends, I love doing these podcasts. I love connecting with you. I hope you find this meaningful. I hope you'll subscribe, you'll rate, you'll share, you'll do all of the things. And I hope we will continue our conversation about all things voice. Until next time, peace. So I create my potion, vials of tears with fire mixed in. Dancing fingers on the keys, poison turns to medicine.